0: You are listening to the 12th episode of the Techno Gypsy podcast. In this episode, we had the honor to speak with Dr. Adil Akhtar, one of America's top 50 disruptors and MIT Technologies top 35 innovators under 35. Adil has his PhD in neuroscience and MS in electrical and computer engineering from the University of Illinois. And as Adil went through his education, he realized that he wanted more than just becoming a professor or a medical doctor. Adele wanted to make a huge impact in the world by making bionic limbs affordable and accessible to everyone, everywhere in the world. And this is what led Adele to founding Psionic, a revolutionary bionic limb company that has created the world's fastest, first ever touch-sensing bionic hand that is covered under Medicare in the United States. And this is called The Ability Hands. In this episode, we talk with Adil about the technical aspect of The Ability Hands and also all of the highs and lows becoming a founder. Adil shares some incredible pearls of wisdom as he talks about how important having grit is and how you can find the path that will help you to accomplish your goals. So without further ado, let me welcome Dr. Adil Akhtar to the Techno Gypsy Podcast. Podcast, Adil. Thank you so much for being here. Me and Sarah are super excited. <laughs>
1: Thanks. I'm super excited to be here as well.
0: <laughs> awesome. Okay. So, I guess getting right into it, um, you are the founder of Psionic, so a company that is creating the world's first touch sensing bionic hands. And I feel like there's a couple other things in there, but you will fill us in on that. So, first of all, I love Sionics' mission and what you're trying to do there. So, it's absolutely amazing. But I guess getting back to my kind of more specific question. So can you give us kind of like an overview of what Psionic is and also the Ability Hand before we get into a bit more like technical details?
1: Yeah, sure. And so um, Psionic, uh, what we do at Psionic is we develop advanced bionic limbs that are affordable and accessible for all people with uh, limb differences. And our first product is uh, the Ability Hand, which I've got over here. And this is a bionic hand for people who have lost their hands and they control it just by using their muscles. And so um, you can do different functions with it. So here's like all five fingers flexing and extending and uh, uh, and it doesn't have to be uh, so fast all the time, but you can like actually control the speed of it uh, just by using your muscles. And you can do different grips with it too, right? So here's like a a thumbs up, for example, or like a key grip or a a power grip right over here. If you want more precision, you can do like a tripod grip or if you had a rock concert, you know, you can uh, rock on uh, as well. Uh, and so it's the fastest bionic hand in the world. It's also the first, as you mentioned, to have uh, give users touch feedback. And the most important thing for us is that we got it covered under Medicare in the United States. So we expanded access from ten percent of patients who could afford an advanced bionic hand to seventy-five percent. And yeah, so it's been an incredible journey to to get here. And I'm uh, happy to be uh, sharing my story with you guys.
2: Yes, that is that's surprising amount of like cool like accomplishments, especially because like this is new technology like we'll talk about this a little later how like prosthetics like they've they've been like a little outdated they're, there's like versions of it but they're not all most feasible so having this is kind of like a a new thing it's innovative and it's like you're making it accessible so I, I love that that even though it's like this new like a much greater technology than the other types of technology it's much more affordable than them so like that's just like best of both worlds so I I really love that about um, psionic and as far as getting a little bit more technical into like how the whole um, ability hand works I imagine there's like a whole uh, some key sensors that are um, used to make sure like you know um, on like in some of the videos you mentioned like pressure sensors and like you know muscle sensors and stuff like that so can you kind of go through those sensors and what their like main functions and purposes are yeah so
1: For our hand, it can accept basically any input. So um, it's got Bluetooth on it, so you can connect to it with a phone and then you can like put settings on it that way, but also control it. But most of the time, most often the way it's controlled by people with limb differences is that, um, especially if you're a below elbow amputee, is that you'll have two muscle sensors placed, one on your wrist flexor and one on your wrist extensor. And then uh, by using those two muscles, you can control closing and opening the hand, right? And so that's what these two buttons are doing. So here's closing, Here's opening, and then if they want to switch grips, the easiest way to do it is when the hand is open, you just open it again, and then it switches over to the next grip in the cycle. Um, So just like that. Um, and so that's one of the, the simplest ways to control it. But there's more complex methods that can be used as well. So you can have multiple uh, muscle sensors going all the way around your arm or on your uh, on your upper limb as well that have machine learning algorithms that can be used to like control like grips like a pinch versus uh, you know individual finger movements and things like that. Um, but we've also started to partner with uh, research groups that are doing implanted electrodes. So these are like directly on your nerves, like in your, uh, uh, on your, your forearm, as well as in your brain as well. So like Mm -hmm. cortical implants that can actually record that activity and then use that tool to hand and make it actually feel like, you know, this is actually an extension of your body as opposed to like a tool that's just on the end of your limb. So that's on the control side. Then there's the whole feedback end too. And so in the fingertips, um, so on the the fingertip, the finger pad, and on the sides of the fingers, we've got uh, six touch sensors essentially. And so we can uh, do a total of 30 of them across all, all fingers for six in each of the five digits. And we typically put in the index finger, the pinky and the thumb though, because those are the ones that come into contact with most objects. But then when you touch the finger, you'll actually feel a vibration through a vibration motor that's in the the socket for the user. And so um, they'll know when they touched an object, when they let go of an object and how hard they initially touched that object as well. So we had five-year-old triple amputee who lost his, uh, both of his legs and his left hand due to sepsis three, four years ago. And he was able to grasp a hollow eggshell while blindfolded without cracking it because of the touch feedback that could get from uh, the ability hand. And what's cool about this touch feedback is it's also in the same way that we don't necessarily care what uh, input that you have into it same thing applies for the output. So it doesn't have to be a vibration motor. We can actually put it with the same implanted electrodes that, you know, are in your forearm or in your, in your brain, in your sensory cortex. Instead, we can stimulate those areas and make it feel like it's coming from your amputated hand that's no longer there. And that is, you know, that's the next level that we want to bring these bionic limbs to over the next like five, 10 years.
2: Awesome. And yeah, great explanation for that. Even though it's a little complex still, like great explanation with like how all the sensors work. And that, that's so awesome, like how it like has a touch sensor. It really does feel like you actually, actually attached to you. So I, I really like that. And I imagine like you mentioned that like also controlled through Bluetooth. So is are like the sensors like are they somehow like how are they communicating to like I know like IoT stuff like Internet of Things stuff. So is that how like the sensors are communicating with each other to um, do like the feedback and stuff like that?
1: And so there, there's a couple ways that the sensors are actually communicating with each other. So we can do it through like a wired interface, like through USB, um, for example, or we can do it wirelessly mm-hmm. um, from Bluetooth uh, as well. So um, we, give the, we give the clinicians and the researchers um, like the options to use whatever it suits them for their, uh, their needs at the time. And so because we put USB on it, we can connect it to our computer and we can stream all that data on the computer so we can see everything that's being touched here and we can send commands to the hand to control it whatever way we want, either through a computer or, or like wired from USB or over Bluetooth as well.
2: Okay. Thanks for clearing that up. That's so cool So you can have multiple methods for that. Um, and I have a question, what is the material of the hand? Like what is? I know there might be, um, I was watching one of your videos. It's like, there's more than one material, like based on like, you know, if it's the finger, just like the hand thing itself and stuff like that. So can you kind of go through what materials are actually used?
1: Yeah. So if we're talking about the fingers, um, we have a, a bone inside of here, that's made out of rubber and nylon essentially. And the rubber gives it the flexibility in this direction. And then uh, the nylon gives it like strength in like this direction. So it can hold 50 pounds without any issues. At all, And I think we maxed it out at like 78 pounds. Um, But then uh, given the the compliance that's in this direction, we can actually like smash it and it's totally survives the impact, right? We've done the We've done like uh, pushups on it. We've broken boards with it, martial martial arts style. I've arm wrestled against it. Um, We even put it in a dryer for about 10 minutes and it was totally fine. uh, Just tumbling around in the dryer. The dryer wasn't, but um, that wasn't okay. But the hand definitely won that fight uh, in the end. and so then we'll take that bone and then we'll put it in a, a 3D printed mold and then inject silicone into it. And then it's uh, over-molded in that silicone. And so that especially assists with the, uh, the pressure sensing, the touch sensing that we've gotten here too. It makes it um, fairly reactive and sensitive to um, you know, light touches versus strong touches as well. So that's the, the fingers and then the palm itself. So um, here, let me open this up a little bit more so you can see. Um, That's actual carbon fiber um, that's on here. So we do um, all the carbon fiber work in house, all the silicone molding here in our labs in Champaign um, as well. And so we'll uh, have a 3D printed palm and then overlay it with uh, carbon fiber to make it super strong, super light. And then this is a a waterproof ripstop nylon fabric that we have for like the the thumb and the, uh, the sleeves that we've got for each one of the fingers over here. And so those are for the most part, the, uh, the main components of the hand itself. There are some, metal parts too. So we've got some spring steel like linkages here to, um, give some strength and flexibility, um, to the hand as well.
2: That is so interesting. And it's so cool that it like it can take a, a whole bunch of like different tasks and stuff like that and still, you know, be intact at the end. So that, that's really awesome. And those are some really interesting materials. And I do have another question. So I believe I'm not sure if this fact is correct, but um, you're like the hand itself is like 2.5 times faster than other prosthetics out in the market. So how exactly did you um, get it to be able to do that?
1: Yeah. And so a lot of that has to do with the the motor and the motor control technology that we have uh, inside the hand. And so we leverage motors that have been common to like uh, drones. Um, So like, you know, those like drones that you can fly um, like outside and and take pictures uh, from like way up above. Um, So those same motors, they're super high speed. And then we put gearboxes on them to make them stronger. And then uh, they're, they're harder to control than like a, a standard motor that's found in a lot of the other prosthetic devices. But fortunately, we've got a lot of smart people who work um, at Cynonic who are able to figure out uh, good ways to control that. And we were able to find a really good balance of high speed and grip strength um, on the hand that uh, was really amenable for our patients and allowed them to do tasks without having to, you know, like wait for their hand to close after like a certain amount of time. So that was uh, that was the main way that we were able to do that.
0: Wow, that's so cool. What were like some of the hardest things to kind of like overcome when making the psionic ham, like either design or technological?
1: always hurdles and especially coming from like a, a startup uh, environment too, right? So it's not just on the technical side, but like also the financial side, like where are we going to get funding from? Like, how, how are we going to like, pay for like the salaries of like engineers who can like develop this stuff, right? Um, on top of, you know, the engineering challenges of like, how do we build a hand that's like, you know, more affordable than anything else, but also more advanced than everything else that's out there too. And so on the technical side, I would say one of the biggest challenges that we had first faced was uh, when we started out, we had actually um, started by completely 3D printing like the entire hand um, itself. And I think I actually might have one uh, right next to me. So yeah, this was the, um, this was the very first
2: like, wow.
1: printed hand that we had built. Um, so we didn't design this. This is based off an open source design that we found online uh, by a French designer. And the, uh, he made a, um, a humanoid robot called. Um, in move that you could like 3D print for like a thousand bucks. And we modified it. So it was just the arm and you could use your muscles to control it. But the thing is, is that it was never meant to be a prosthetic device, right? So if you give this to any, any user, they're going to break this thing (laughs) within like minutes uh, of using it because of the, the rigid plastics that are used um, in in the hand itself. And we started talking with, uh, we started talking with hundreds of patients and clinicians. And the number one thing they complained about was that their super expensive bionic hands that they like could barely get insurance to cover in the first place was breaking within like months of them using it. And it's not because they did anything crazy. They accidentally would like hit their hand against the side of a table, but because they were made out of rigid plastics, they would just snap at this joint right here. And so that's when we had to start thinking outside of the box, like how could we still leverage 3D printing, but make something that was more robust than all these hands that are breaking. Um, all the time. And that's when we, we came across this field of research called soft robotics. And they were using things like silicone and rubber um, instead of like these rigid plastics and, and rigid metals that have been used for like you know, decades in this field. And by doing that, we introduced something that we call compliance in the fingers, right? That's, that's the ability for me to like squeeze these fingers together and to have that flexibility. So when it, something does hit it, it actually just flexes out of the way like your, your own fingers would. And so by incorporating that ability into this, but also being able to manufacture that at an uh, affordable uh, cost, that's what was like one of the the critical things that we had developed in order to, and the hurdles we had to overcome in order to make something like this happen. And also things like, you know, we had to get some grant funding from the, the National Science Foundation and raise an investor around as well. And, you know, we were learning how to do all of that stuff because, you know, we had engineering backgrounds, we didn't necessarily have business backgrounds. And so- uh, learning all of that stuff had, was like, is learning like a new language entirely, and it's been a it's been a very rewarding experience, though.
2: I imagined, and yeah, so that mixture of like you know some startup general businessy issues, and then like you know some of those engineering challenges because this is a completely new. Um, technology, so um, I can imagine that you would have uh, some challenges with that. But yeah, again, like you said, like it's a learning experience. So like um, you had to learn probably a lot by now with all of the um, experience and stuff. So yeah, and I and I have a question. You mentioned that you um, got some user feedback on how that, like, um, how they were dealing with you know other prosthetics and like how um, you can apply some of that you know criticism from other prosthetics to like making yours um, better. And so just generally. How was that process of getting user feedback? How long just did that generally take? And then how, how that compared to the general timeline of actually creating this before you um, put it to the public?
1: Yeah, so uh, we are actually, we are constantly getting user feedback all the time. It is, it is the most critical thing, right? Because the entire purpose for us building this is for the users to use them for their activities of daily living and, and their, their daily lives, right? Uh, and so, for example, like one of the things that, especially for our, our uh, users who are missing both of their hands and they're using two ability hands, one of the things that would be critical for them is to have like conductive fingers that they can use their cell phones with. And so that's going to be coming out from us in like a, 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 like a month or two is like the ability to use our, the silicone on our fingers to like manipulate your cell phone, right? Um, and, and so that's an example of you I know mean, the constant user feedback that we're always getting, um, and the, uh, all the improvements that we're they're always making. And so, in the last like six, seven years, I would say we've gone through nine prototypes where we basically started from scratch um, the, the every single time, learning basically what we need to fix from like the the previous um, prototype before. And uh, yeah, so it's um it's been quite a journey. We we actually released this in the Midwest. So as a FDA registered device so in the Midwest U.S. Uh, in September of 2019 and then nationwide from September of last year, 2021. And it's just been like the, the demand for this has been incredible. And like the response from all of our users has been really, really positive as well. So um, it's just been like a whirlwind of the, an experience over like the last seven years in developing this.
2: Yeah, that that sounds like it's been a uh... Uh, uh, interesting journey. I bet, yeah, you mentioned there's a whole bunch of challenges with that, but I bet it was just, just like a, just a generally fun, interesting, and you probably, again, learned a lot from it. Even though like you you went through all of that stuff, at least you're at the stage now where you're making it so much better and more easier for like amputees to use. So that's incredible. And we did touch on this a little bit before that. I, I did say I was going to talk about this briefly on um, the history, a little bit of um, previous prosthetics and previous models and stuff like that. So not we don't want to, have to go into too much detail with that, but just generally kind of give um, our listeners a little background on how the history of how we got to this point.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, and, and do you mean, like, with the respect to, like, history of, like, like prosthetics that people have been using from other companies, or, like, for us in particular, from, like, the our, our start and how we got into it?
2: Like, generally, like, how, um, how like, it's evolved a little bit.
1: Sure, and so um, by far the most common prosthetic uh, device in the world is a, is a hook, right? And so this is like basically two steel pincers that are connected with a bicycle cable to your shoulders. And when you squeeze your shoulders together, this hook will open. And then when you release your shoulders, the hook will close. And this is that's technology that hasn't changed since like the Civil War era um, of the United States. And so like, you know, over like 200, almost 200 years, right? Uh, And so that you know, it's super robust, but all it can do is like open and close. So it doesn't give you a lot of um, different like movements of your hand that you can do, right? And so the next step up from that is what we call a myoelectric prosthesis. So myo meaning muscle, electric meaning, well, electric, right? And so those are your muscle powered prosthetic devices. So the most basic ones, all they do is just open and close. And so they're really robust, but they're like super heavy and like clunky and slow. And then the next step up from that is what we call a multi-articulated device which is a hand like ours where you have like these individual finger movements Um, but historically they have been very expensive but and also very very fragile as well Um, as well as, as slow and so we wanted to address those issues in particular in addition to that none of those had like touch feedback so if you had lost your hand and you were fitted with any of those devices and you tried to like hold like your parents hand for example then you wouldn't be able to feel it at all. And that's something that we set out to change from Psionic. And so um, we had gone through, like I mentioned, nine prototypes starting from these 3 printed devices all the way to using carbon fiber and like uh, silicone instead and uh, embedding pressure sensors in here and like USB-C charging. So you can charge your phone the same way that you charge your arm. Um, You can actually charge your phone from your arm too. It's like another superhuman ability for users, right? Uh, And it's just, it's just this constant process of iteration and getting user feedback that really drives this whole uh, process forward.
0: Oh, I love that so much. And I guess this kind of leads right into my next question, which was kind of like what inspired you to start um, Psionic? I know that it's a very kind of powerful story, but I'd love for everybody to kind of hear it as well.
1: Yeah, this is something that I've actually wanted to do basically my entire life ever since I was seven years old. And uh, my parents are from Pakistan. Originally, I was born in the Chicago suburbs, but I was visiting Pakistan for one of the first times I could remember. And that's the first time I met someone with a limb difference. And she was my age, uh, missing her right leg and using a broken tree branch as a crutch. And you know, at the time I wondered, we have the same ethnic heritage, but we've got such vastly different qualities of life. And as I grew older, I began to realize that that was due to a lack of resources, right? Like healthcare, access, um, like security, financial resources. And that's what inspired me to want to go into this field and develop bionic limbs that not just were advanced, but also accessible to as many people as possible.
0: Oh, no, that's absolutely beautiful. And I think that that's kind of what I find most interesting about psionic is how how you want to make it accessible, you know, so that people can actually use it. And I love also what you said about how it's like a resource difference between like different companies, which allows people to not have these things. So I guess this is kind of like a bit philosophical, but um, like kind of as a world, you know, and as you know, um, there are people trying to like solve big problems in the world. How can we kind of like, level off this gap that countries have, you know, just like different societies have. You know, like we're so lucky here in North America, you know, we have so much. Um obviously like most of us, right? Like not everybody does, but you know, lots, lots of people, they live very terrible conditions and they don't have as much as us. So how do you think that we can kind of like leverage that gap so then everybody can have like an ability hand, your needs one, you know, that so people can have these things that we kind of like take for granted.
1: Yeah. And so uh, a big part of that isn't just to having access to the device, but having access to ongoing uh, clinical care a- as well, right? Um, because you know, it- it's-, it's one thing to have the hand, but then it's another thing to like, you know learn how to use the hand and incorporate in your daily life. And, and uh, typically you can do that here in the States through like occupational therapy and physical therapy, right? Which may not be readily available um, in a, in a resource limited setting or a or- developing country. And to mitigate that from the start, like even before Psionic even became a a company, um, we had partnered with a nonprofit organization called the Range of Motion Project. And the Range of Motion Project, they're uh, they're based out of the US, Guatemala, and Ecuador. And their whole mission is to provide Mm -hmm. prosthetic devices and prosthetic care to those who can't afford them across the world, in particular, those um, three regions. And I think the statistic is that 80% of of people with amputations are in developing nations and less than 3% have access to uh, affordable rehabilitative care. And they're trying to change that uh, training clinicians in these areas so that they can like sustain like ongoing care for um, people with limb differences in these areas and regions. And so I got my PhD from the university of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign and the founder or the co-founder of the range of motion project is also an alum from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, and that's how we had gotten in touch. And back in, um, in 2014, we got the opportunity to go down to Quito, Ecuador, and try out one of our early like 3D printed hand designs on a patient there who had lost his left hand 35 years prior due to like machine gun fire from a helicopter. He was in the Ecuadorian army and it was a border war between Ecuador and Peru. And you have to imagine that at the time, you know, the hand was, Three times the size of an average human hand, like had wires going everywhere, plugged into breadboards, plugged into walls, power supplies, computers, everything, right? Despite that, our, our, our patient Juan, he said in front of like these international news stations that he felt as though a part of him had come back. And it was because he was able to make a pinch with his left hand for the first time in 35 years. And he had actually forgotten how to do it. And we had to retrain his brain in order to remember how to do it by placing a mirror in front of his amputated left side, reflecting his intact right hand. And uh, while he was looking through this mirror, it would trick his brain into thinking his left hand was actually there. And it reactivated those muscles that have been dormant for, for like 35 years. Right. And when he said that a part of me would come back, that's when I realized that if we stay in like academia, if, we, if I just become like a university professor, then this ends up as a journal paper and that's the end of it. If we want everyone to feel the exact same way that Juan did, the only way we could do that would be to commercialize the technology. And so that's when Psionic was born. That has been our our thesis the entire time. We want everyone to to have that kind of opportunity. So by partnering with these organizations that can help bridge this gap in these developing nations, like the Range of Motion Project is doing, that's how we can help get these ability hands out to all of these places.
2: Nice. That, yeah, I I like that answer to that question. And I, I love how you were talking about how in academia, just like doing this research papers and stuff like that, it's not actually making that impact. So I, I do want to talk about this a little bit later when we get a little bit more philosophical with, you know, startup stuff and stuff like that. But I, my last question specifically towards psionic is we, we've talked about it a little bit throughout the episode. But what are you just like to summarize a little bit? What are your guys like um, envisionments for the future of psionic and how you guys want to um, move forward and create more impact?
1: Yeah, so we've got a lot of initiatives that we're working on. So uh, one of our goals is that in five years, we want to make an ability leg in addition to an ability hand and that you'd be able to do a triathlon and that ability leg. We're also working on novel surgeries that are integrating the, the prosthetics directly to your muscles and your bones, as well as electrodes that you can place directly on your nerves. So it can sense your, your nerve impulses for controlling like your fingers or your ankles or your toes, um, for example, as well as sensing back from like the, the hand as well and, 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 your, and your legs. So that's on the horizon, right? These, these, cool biointegrated technologies that are going to be more seamless in the next five to 10 years. And then on the accessibility end, we've got a lot of plans for continuing to work with like uh, nonprofits and um, and subsidizing you know, the cost for prosthetic limbs in developing nations. So we can get access, or give people access in those regions who had never had access to an advanced bionic limb before.
0: I love that so much. That was literally going to be one of my questions. I was going to ask if Psionic was building a bionic leg and a triathlon. That is so cool oh my gosh I like can't wait for wait for that day that'll be like so exciting very cool and I guess like another thing that kind of I find so interesting about psionic is like when people think about like big problems in the world you know I feel like Number one, you know, they'll think of like climate change, you know, and kind of like plastic pollution and all of these, you know, without kind of like realizing these other huge issues, people with like limb disability or um, limb differences. Is that like the correct term? Limb differences? Yeah. And, you know, who may not even have access to prosthetics, I guess, how, as in kind of talking about like next generation and like youth kind of coming up. How do you want people to kind of be thinking about tackling big problems like this? Because I feel like a lot of people as well, they may like think about big problems like these and it's like, okay, but like, there's nothing I can do about that. You kind of, you made that decision instead of going down to academia, you decided to start Sianite and start making a difference. So what would you kind of say to people who want to kind of make a difference, but don't quite know how, I guess?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because it's not like growing up I, I was always like i'm going to start a business and this is exactly what i wanted to do what what i did know is i, I wanted to work in, in bionics right i wanted to make the i wanted to make bionic limbs and what wasn't necessarily clear was the the exact path that i was going to take to get there and so the real original plan was to become like a, a straight up md so i go to medical school and then like see patients with amputations and then treat them and then and then in my undergraduate uh, when i started college i my sophomore year, Year, I took my first computer science class and I absolutely loved it. I loved everything about like coding and, and like building my own programs and, and things like that, that I realized that if I became a straight up MD, I wouldn't get to do any of that cool stuff. And so I wanted to figure out a way to you know combine my, my interests in like prosthetics, as well as my interests in like computer science and engineering. And it was right down the street at a uh, hospital. Uh, it was used to be called the Rehabilitation Institute of Chicago. It's now called the Shirley Ryan Ability Lab. It's the number one rehabilitation hospital in the U.S. for the last 31 years. And they had these incredible breakthroughs in mind controlled bionic limbs that was combining like surgeries with physical medicine, rehabilitation and neurology, as well as like computer engineering and electrical engineering and mechanical engineering to like build these amazing bionic limbs that would interface with your nerves. And I was like, this is exactly what I want to do. And I geared my, I changed my path at that point to doing an MD PhD where I do like research in these bionic limbs and then also still becoming an MD, but then I, you know, hold an academic position and then like hold a clinic one day a week. And then the rest of the week would be like developing this stuff as research. And it wasn't until that, that Ecuador trip, like I had mentioned that I'd taken that, that I realized the best way to do this would actually be to commercialize the technology as a startup instead and and I think uh, the, the funny thing is that I went into grad school thinking I would come out with an MD and a PhD in electrical and computer engineering. And instead, I came out with a PhD in neuroscience and a business. And the point is, is that you have to be open to these kinds of, of different paths. You have to figure out what the best path to get and accomplish what you want to do is and then strive for that. And for example, I was talking with uh, one of my uh, medical school professors and we we were at uh, dinner and one of the things he was telling me in my decision to whether uh, to continue medical school or not was, he was like, Adil, you know, if you become a a medical doctor, you will make a, a very important impact and it'll be a very good impact, but it'll also be very local, right? To wherever you're practicing. The impact that you can make with psionic, that has global potential. And that really resonated with me because that's exactly why I got into what I wanted, uh, this field was so that we could make this kind of global impact. So the the advice there is to think about, uh, always be evaluating what the best route is to accomplish whatever goal that you want to do and always be working on it, but be open to changing that path, however it may seem, right? It might be, you start a a startup company out of like college, and then you you don't end up finishing your degree, it might be you might need to get a PhD in order to do this, because it requires a lot of research and development. Instead, it might be that uh, you need to like do surgeries and treat patients. So you need to get an MD, right? Any one of those routes could be the correct one, you just need to be open to being able to adapt to what the best route is at the given time.
2: I think that's like amazing advice and it's a lot of times like a lot of young people are in a way forced down this one path after high school do college and then if you want to like continue after that you know get your master's and after get you your PhD and stuff like that we kind of just forced down that path getting your bachelor's degree going to a job I um, mean something like that so yeah we're kind of forced down that path and it's not always the easiest decision to take another path because it's unconventional and sometimes that can be scary I mean it, it, it going to be scary but I I love people who are um, successful and have created um, a good impact talk about like you know taking another path because that's a lot of that's a thing that a lot of this next generation needs to hear because it is yeah we are pressured to go down a specific path so that's definitely important and and And,
1: one more thing to add to that uh, and this just dovetails to what you're saying as well it takes a lot of grit. It is not the easy path. Like the startup route is it's like a roller coaster ride. Like you're going to have low lows, but then like super high highs as as you go down that path. And it's completely understandable and acceptable. Like a lot of my original like undergraduate students that I was working with while we, we started building with this, you know, they a lot of them went to like Microsoft and Google and Facebook and got super like cush jobs and with high pay and things like that. And for me, I I did not want to go down that route. I wanted to make sure that everything that I was working towards was going to make an impact. And that meant that, you know, we're going to be like eating out of cereal boxes for a while, not living like the, the optimally as, as we possibly could if we had one of the, the jobs in like the Bay area or something like that. And so it takes a certain amount of grit, but if you have a lot of conviction in what you believe is, is, is right and what you want to do, that having the grit to withstand those kinds of like low lows, that's going to be critical in order to like really get to the success that you want to reach.
2: Yeah, that's an important point because, yeah, it, it, again, it's our, it's, it's mainly our decision. So if we do want to go down a certain path, like we should go down it, but like uh, also take other things and other paths into mind. And this kind of also. Wait, well like our earlier parts of the conversation kind of also leads to this like next question about kind of hard to word it so I had to like change the wording of it a little bit but like you've obviously you've gone through you've you've gotten your degrees and stuff like that and you've done a lot of um, schooling so do you think I know that it's your individual path and like it's not so easy to tell where you would have been if you'd gone down a different path but if you okay for to um let's say like If you, instead, if you, you got your college degrees, maybe like a bachelor or something, something like that, but you did a lot of self-education stuff. Like, you know, you took like coding course or like an engineering course online. Yeah. Like mostly a lot of self-education stuff. Do you think you would have gotten to the same point where you're like, you have this company, you're making the same impact if you didn't have all those years of, you know, research and stuff like that?
1: You know, so, so it's, it's tricky, right? It's always, it's tricky to look in hindsight on things. So one thing I will say that we might've been, we might've been able to solve the same technical hurdles even if I didn't go down the, the PhD route, but one thing that the PhD route did give us was an eye for where the, the entire field is heading in the next like five to 10 years at a, at a very like technical level, like to the point where if someone shows me an idea for a new device, I can immediately evaluate it because I know exactly what's possible based on all the research that's, that's been done anywhere else. and getting to know that community as well. Like we've embedded ourselves in that community and that's why we've been able to collaborate with a lot of these researchers who are doing these really technically challenging implanted electrodes in your nervous system and your your brain and your, your peripheral nerves. So that was an advantage that I did definitely get through having gone like the academic route and having access to grants. It it made a little bit easier to get grants from the national science foundation to go down that route. Now that being said, I mean, who knows, like other avenues we might've taken had, had I not gone that route or what, how things might've been different if I continued on with medical school immediately. And if I did that path first, it's hard to tell. But again, I, I guess this all comes down to always having to reevaluate what you think the best path is and then like committing to that for at least for a certain amount of time until you have enough evidence showing that this is why it's not the best path, for example, in achieving the, the goals that that you want to, right? And I guess, like, for the people who are doing the research on, like, these mind-controlled bionic limbs, they were all doing this at a, at a you know, PhD level at places like Northwestern and Johns Hopkins and Stanford and MIT, and, and so... At that point, that's why it's like okay, so the, the, it it makes sense to get a graduate degree so we can work on some of these things that are going on there. But I know plenty of people in this field and 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 plenty of uh, other companies who are making uh, prosthetic devices where they haven't even gone to like college, for example. They they went straight from high school into developing these devices, and they're doing really cool things as well. So. It's, it's all, like I said, it's all about evaluating like constantly like what you think that best path is and talking to as many people as possible and getting advice from them on, on your own personal journey.
0: I love that point that you said about, yeah, evaluating your path. Because like if you don't, yeah, you may just be like stuck down like a wrong path and you may not even know it. So definitely love that a lot. And another thing I'm curious about is like any advice that you may have for people Wanting to start a company or a startup, either a technical one or really like anything, do you have any advice from building Psionic that you'd like to share with maybe other potential
1: founders? <laughs> yeah, so so one is uh, one is uh, one of the ones I mentioned already, which is to definitely have grit. Yes. Right? It's going to it's going to be hard, it's going to be rough, and and by having grit, you will make it through those those low lows um, in order to achieve those like really high highs. The other thing I would say is that, you know, always approaching things from a position of gratitude. Like I am incredibly grateful that I have the opportunity to make a living from something I love that I've wanted to do my entire life. And also incredibly grateful to have the ability to give to people things that they have lost, like the, the abilities that they have lost And uh, to allow them to do these activities of daily living that they might not have thought they'd be able to do again. And I mean, when I I was one of our first patients in the U.S., it was a retired U.S. Army sergeant, Garrett Anderson. He lost his left hand in Iraq in 2005 due to a roadside bomb. And he said that, you know, with the ability hand, he could actually like feel his daughter's hand again. And I was like, this, this is why we do what we do. I'm just incredibly grateful like that I and working in a in a job that allows me to enable moments like that. Those are the, the two biggest things. Have grit and, and just be grateful for every opportunity that you have.
0: Oh, I love that so much. And I just, I love all the stories, you know, like all the stories of psionic, just like helping so many people, you know, it just, it's, it's beautiful. It really is. And I guess like my last question before we kind of get to the end, time has flown by the way, <laughs> but my last question is like, theoretically, if you had like a magic wand and you could change or add anything to the world, like you could just, you know, change something, improve something, what would you use this magic wand for?
1: Oh, that is a, that's a really good question. Um, Yeah. You know, I think it would have to do with getting more equitable access to, to resources. So especially healthcare, that is like one of the hardest challenges I feel like is getting equitable access to like healthcare resources, especially in like um, the developing nations um, in particular. And it, that's why we're working to change it. We're, we're trying to build this magic wand so that, that we can actually get people could use advanced bionic limbs all over the world.
0: Trying to build the magic wand. I love love that. that. That could be like a tagline, like trying to build magic wand. Yes. Oh no, I love that. Do you have any like last thoughts or words of wisdom or anything you'd like to say before we end it
1: just just keep going the, the future is looking bright and i'm excited to see the next generation of of young uh, you know scientists and engineers entrepreneurs like tackle these global challenges and and really uh, make a difference in the world oh well
0: thank you so much adil we've enjoyed this so much and We're so inspired by Psionic and what you're doing there. So, thank you for your contribution to the world, just for improving so many people's lives. And we can't wait to see what's on the future with Psionic. So, thanks so much for your time and have a great day,
1: everyone. Thank you. See you guys.